If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. You've tuned in to Columbia Calling, your first stop for everything you want to know about Columbia. How and where to invest, where to visit. From the Pacific to the Caribbean, the Andes Mountains to the Amazon jungle, Columbia has a slice of everything. Shooting from the hip, answering the questions that need answering. Here's your host, the journalist and hotelier, Richard McCall, shedding some light on the fashionable South American destination of Colombia. It's that time of the week again, folks. This is me, your host, Richard McCall, here in Bogota, Colombia, 2,600 meters closer to the stars. And this is episode 470 of the Columbia Calling Podcast. Thank you to all of those of you who've sent in kind words of support this week for the podcast. It really has been quite special. And indeed, for those of you suggesting people to interview or recommendations, we do pursue these. We do read every email. So thank you again. Uh, This week's episode, episode 470, we take a look at a book by a rookie author, Colombian rookie author. Her name is Lorena Salazar Maso. She's from Medellin and the Choco, so she grew up in both places. Her first book is called This Wound Full of Fish. I was sent a press copy of it. And we interview Annie McDermott, who is the literary translator of the book. And I tell you, this book is really quite something. I know there's been some, you know, interesting comments written about it online, but I'm just taking it from my perspective, knowing about Colombia, looking at the literature about Colombia. And I think it's a really quite a powerful book. So you can get it on Amazon. I've seen it there. This Wound Full of Fish. It did come out in English on the 11th of May, so there's no excuse at all. Anyway, debut novelist really revealing something of an overlooked area in the Choco up the Atrato River. Well worth reading, in my opinion, so do look it up. We have put the um, link to Amazon to the book in the show notes, so you will find it there if you are interested, but I do recommend it. Annie McDermott has done an incredible job in translating this book because, I mean, she knows Colombia, but so she's able to put it into context and a certain language which really does express well, Colombia, that's, I mean, that's the real deal here. Exciting news as well, my little, uh, private well, say boutique uh, editorial publishing house Fuller Vigil well we've got three books we've got three books on the burner and hopefully in the autumn so only in a few months time we'll have all three of them out as a triumvirate as a triumvirate so we've got one based in Nariño another based up on the coast and one based in the Eje Cafetero, the coffee zone. All three are memoirs from very different perspectives. Political, agricultural, social, you name it. Very different. But the idea of this, uh, of, of this editorial is to get more books 
in English about Colombia out there so we can get a bit more understanding. And one of the tales is a tale of a child. So there you go. So there's a child. There's, of course, my book in Mompos. And then there's a book by a guy called Barry Max Wills about him on his coffee farm. And then we should be having with Dr. Andre Gomez Suarez. Look him up. He's an expert on all things peace-related, and it's his upbringing in Nariño and the political, I would say, privilege, but not as you'd expect, but the political privilege that he was brought up in. So very interesting indeed. I'm working hard to get these out together in the autumn so we're looking at september october time but you know they've all been edited it's just a question of moving forward so thank you again for your support because this helps all us push it along the way now we'll go to some messages from our sponsors and then we'll come back with the news segment with uh, the columbia news brief from emily hart and then back with annie mcdermott discussing the translation and how she felt translating this book by Lorena Sanchez Maso called This Wound Full of Fish. Of course, if you want to support us directly, that's www.patreon.com forward slash Columbia Calling. And we are grateful to everyone who signed up to this. Thank you again. and Please don't go away. The Columbia Calling podcast is sponsored by Latin News, a leading source of political and economic analysis on Latin America and the Caribbean since 1967. Their flagship publication, the Latin American Weekly Report, provides a behind-the-scenes briefing on all the week's key developments throughout the region. Sign up for a 14-day free trial at latinnews.com. We are also sponsored by... BNB Columbia Tours, which is a leading tour operator providing a wonderful range of exclusive small group shared tours for those over 50, along with customizable private tours to both popular and off-the-map destinations throughout this beautiful and diverse country. If you're interested in experiencing one of their unforgettable journeys through Colombia, be it a shared tour with like-minded travelers or creating a unique private package of your own just complete the form on the columbia calling website that's www.columbiacalling.co or the bnb columbia tours website that's www.bnbcolumbia.com and they'll be in touch within 24 hours to answer all of your questions and to start the planning of your exclusive colombian adventure so that's bnbcolumbia.com and latin news Thank you for supporting our sponsors. I'm Emily Hart and these are your top stories for the week of May 22nd, 2023. Crisis this week for the peace process with the ELN, the Ejército de Liberación Nacional, a guerrilla group formed in the 1960s, which is now Colombia's oldest insurgent group, currently in peace talks with the government in Havana, Cuba. Adding to existing tension and accusations of non-compliance with ceasefires, President Gustavo Petro announced this week that the ELN are no longer an insurgent group, fighting instead for territory for the illicit economy. The group responded by saying that his statement calls into question the entire negotiation. Talks paused before resuming last week. Meanwhile, FARC dissident group, the Estado Mayor Central, led by Ivan Mordisco, has announced it is evaluating whether or not to continue with the ceasefire with the Colombian state, after a number of alleged violations by the armed forces. 
Former paramilitary leader Salvatore Mancuso has been giving evidence at the special peace tribunal, the JEP, about alliances between officials, civilians, security forces and the paramilitaries. Mancuso was second in command of the Autodefensas Unidas de Colombia, known as the AUC. Mancuso has now given numerous names of military and police officers and claimed that the Colombian State Security Service, the DAS, provided the paramilitary with information in order to assassinate politicians, including an order for the assassination of now-president Petro. He has also testified that high-profile murders and massacres directly involved and were even ordered by local government and military. He has testified to links between paramilitaries and FEDEGAN, the ranching federation, and interference with elections of presidents, including Andres Pastrana and Álvaro Uribe. Numerous businesses, including Drummond, Ecopetrol, Postobon, Chiquita Fruit Brands and Coca-Cola are also accused of financing paramilitary groups. Mancuso is at the HEP, hoping to maintain judicial benefits, i.e. reduce sentences in Colombia, for his numerous crimes during the conflict, including more than 800 massacres. To do so, he will have to have been deemed to make extraordinary contributions to the truth. He is currently serving a sentence for drug trafficking in a U.S. prison, from which he testified, having been extradited in 2008. As a result of his testimony, Colombia and Venezuela will start joint operations to look for missing persons on the border, as, according to Mancuso, hundreds of bodies were moved over the border and left in mass graves in Venezuela. He also testified that crematorian ovens were used to hide bodies of those killed by the military as the high number of deaths were affecting officer promotions. Deforestation is dropping in Colombia, according to the government. Logging fell by nearly 10% between 2021 and 2022. This is a reverse in a trend over the last few years as deforestation spiked after the peace accord was signed with the FARC in 2016. The greatest improvements have been seen in the Amazon region. Airline Avianca has abandoned its planned merger with Viva Air and Viva will be forced to close operations. The closure, as well as the recent closure of Ultra Air, threatens crisis for tourism in destinations like San Andres and Cartagena during this peak season. Together, those two airlines had 25% of the national market. Some predict domestic prices will increase as a result of reduced supply. Those were your top stories for this week. Thanks for listening. And we're back. This is episode 470 of the Columbia Calling podcast. As I mentioned in segment one, our very special guest this week. Uh, so I you know, sent back and I guess we found out that Lorena's English is not, you know, up. she didn't feel confident about it. But I said, well, let's talk to Annie the translator, and latterly they said, Frankie, there in that office said, she knows the podcast. So that puts you in great steed uh, and a great standing with me. And I understand that in 2019, you spent three months in Colombia. Yeah, I did. In the summer to autumn of 2019, I was traveling around. And that was when I started listening to Colombia Calling as a way of both learning about the country and distracting myself from the very treacherous long bus journeys that I was taking about the place. And so, yeah, I started listening to the podcast. Then. So you, I mean, you were pre-pandemic as well, This is, which is, yeah. it was, and Colombia was booming. I mean, that summer, that, that period, we were, it was our best ever period in tourism. 
And I also am going to get it out there. She did not stay in my hotel in Montpos. So that, you know, knocks her a, a little bit on the standings. But at the same time, she was in Montpos and she traveled around. And I can tell you that since 2019, the roads are still treacherous. The landslides are still occurring. And the accessibility does not appear to have improved because we've had a lot of cancellations of airlines and flights and so on. So even that side of things has worsened, which kind of takes us to the book a bit because we address, well, addressed in this book, the this wound of fish, uh, it's based in Choco. And accessibility is of a key element all the way through because you've got to get to Kibdo and Kibdo is the first location in the book. But I, you didn't make it to Choco because, again, accessibility and cost. Yeah, it was a tough decision. I was find I found it very kind of fascinating the very idea of this region of Colombia that was so inaccessible and that has such a particular culture, which is so, which is so it's a region where there's um, a lot of the Afro-Colombian population lives, but also a lot of indigenous culture in this kind of amazing melting pot, which makes it sound completely fascinating. And we were really we thought very hard about whether we'd be able to make it, but it just seemed quite a lot too difficult and also slightly dangerous at that time. We shared a taxi with a enthusiastic fisherman who said that he often goes to Choco to go on big fishing trips and that he'd stopped recently because the violence had been increasing around the summer of 2019. So that kind of... Yeah, it, it was an issue. It's, so, it's an issue because that river, well, of course, part of it, the accessibility of the department means that it's almost there's no state presence in in a lot of it uh you know just in sort of the, the main cities and the main uh, and then you've got the atrato river which is dealt with in the book it's the amongst some people is known as like the cocaine superhighway that runs up to urawa and out and so therefore it's very strategic for the armed groups and in that vacuum that took place after 2016 and the peace accords so it was being it is being there's a jostle for a complete power between the ELN, so the second, now the first guerrilla group, the National Liberation Army, and of course, the Clan del Golfo, so sort of offshoot uh, of the paramilitary groups, delinquents, criminal <laughs> organization, again. But so what is most exciting to me, Annie, is that you've been to Colombia, and you have soaked up the atmosphere, and you've talked to people, obviously, who know the Choco, and this mm -hmm. has given you a background with which to approach. But perhaps it might have been a benefit knowing Colombia, but not knowing the Choco coming to the book, because the descriptions, they are very, I mean, they are, they evoke Choco very uh, profoundly. And, and I think you must have had to have had, well, I go into this, how do I translate this to get it into that, the language, into that ambience? So, I mean, were you and Lorena very much in contact about this? When she, if she saw a translation, no, that's not the word. That's not what we're trying to say. How was your communication to, to, uh, to describe Choco? How, how did that come through? So the communication, I was quite in touch with her, I guess, especially towards the end of the translation. Normally, as I work through a translation, I build up a yeah. ever lengthening list of questions to ask <laughs> to ask the author and so towards the end I sent Lorena quite a long 
list of questions, which some of which were about quite particular kind of very choco specific terminology mm. that even Google couldn't really <laughs> help me out with. Um, and then some of it was also maybe about the possibility of adding what translators call a kind of stealth gloss to the text. So if you want to kind of perhaps include a word in the original Spanish or just include a word that people outside Colombia won't necessarily mm. know what the meaning is rather than including a footnote, for example, which is quite like which translators aren't very into at the moment because it's quite unfashionable in the translation world to have too many footnotes. You might want to just include a kind of a few words in the text to give the reader a bit of a, a bit of a hint about what's uh, going on. That's interesting. So, I, you know, in a literary book, I wouldn't want to see a footnote, uh, fashion or not. In an academic book, a more academic, I'd have no issue with it. You know, oh, yeah, absolutely. a political, even a political journal, I don't mind a, uh, in a footnote, uh, but or you know footnotes, a long footnotes or index in the back. But this is this is literature. I would prefer not to have you know an asterisk and then go down and see. <laughs> so, what is your stealth gloss? What did you have to look at? I mean, there are so many different. So, um, just trying to think. There's the um, the really silly one occurs to me, which is just the animal packer for example, which that is the word in English as well. But I think if you said that to a, if you just included that, a English speaking reader might think it was just a misprint of an alpaca or something. So I have where there's a packer in a cage, I have a furry white spotted packer in a cage just to give like a bit of a, a bit of an image of what we're dealing with. But I think that's fine. There was another animal, wasn't there, as well, that you translated? And I came across, I read it twice, because I, and I can't remember what it was. I should have noted it down, but I can't remember it once. And I was like, what? <laughs> so yeah, I probably knew it better in Spanish than in English, but then that's... Yeah, <laughs> this is sometimes what happens. Um, but yeah, lots of the food, lots of, lots of fruit, lots of vegetables. And then, yeah, I forget exactly what I did, but quite a lot of the kind of there was a kind of interesting balance to find in terms of what's unspoken in the book and what has to remain unspoken in relation to the armed conflict mm. itself, because it would change the book completely to over explain that stuff in the mm. translation. But at the same time, if what you want is for your readers to have a similar experience to people reading it in Spanish, you want them to sort of mm. to pick up on the clues, yeah. even if, but you want them to still just be hints. Well, I think that is one of the key points. It's what has not is not said in the book, and that's something that really it it's very evident all the way through. And I think it would be evident to a non let's say a non Columbia reader. I think so. It's that you don't because I did. I found myself not wanting so much to be explained because as as we can feel through the book, there is a rising tension. And if I'm not mistaken, the first several par uh, chapters, although there are, uh, you know, kind of large reflections to an earlier time in it, so it sort of reminds me a bit of Francois Mauriac <laughs> a bit in that mm -hmm. one. The, the book in question I'm thinking of is, is Thérèse Desquerou, but it goes back to the past to explain things. But again, it doesn't reveal too much. But the first few chapters are very much a canoe ride, you know, a motorized canoe. And therefore, to me, it's a 
an embrace of the river as the environment, as everything. And that first chapter sets the scene between why the Atrato River is so different from, let's say, the Cauca or the Magdalena. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's some descriptions in there saying, you know, the gray of the Atrato, I think it is, not like that. Yeah, which then, yeah. And immediately sets it apart, doesn't it? Yeah, it's amazing. Sometimes gray, sometimes cinnamon brown, I think. Yeah, yeah. That for me was very special because you really were putting a distance between the rest of Colombia and this. And But, uh, I mean, you know, you've done so, a, a dozen or so books, uh, Spanish, Portuguese to English. How does this compare to others that you've done? I mean, how does this compare? Is, is there anything from a similar isolation, I would say? Yeah, and I think I think it's sort of I think one thing that really sets this book apart and what made me so interested in translating it is actually the the prose itself. When I kind of when I think about the way Lorena describes describes this river, describes this landscape, it's so it's just so lush, it's so luscious, kind of in the way that vegetation is lush, mm -hmm. her writing, kind of very like very full, very abundant, very kind of very sensuous all these different tones of green all these different kind of yes like sounds and smells and all of these kind of all of these amazing images the river's so kind of shape-shifting throughout this book so it becomes it becomes an arm of black earth it becomes a tiger that's a tiger that could swallow them whole at any moment it becomes like the title a wound full of fish it's so and I think that's what makes the book really stand out this very particular kind of like this very particular identification of the prose with the landscape that it's describing and I think that does I feel like there are parallels to that in other books that I've translated but maybe in an almost opposing way like I translate a fair few books by an Argentinian writer called Selva Almada mm -hmm. who whose books take place in this very very dry very dusty landscape in the north in the um in a chaco <laughs> as yeah. opposed to choco um and her prose is very very sparse and very stripped back and very kind of like sort of yeah bound up in the landscape in a completely different way so this feels like a kind of interesting counterpart to that i think as a translation project but I think you know if you've got a counterpart that's so extreme that helps you, isn't it? It helps you you because you. I mean, the Chocó is is total abundance, I and mean, that's that's yeah. it, isn't it? It's and and the earth provides, the river provides, and then the population provide, and that's one other thing. You notice that there is a kinship between the principal character, her son, and then of course just the people met. On the mm -hmm. on the motorized canoe, there is immediately a, a degree of I wouldn't say amiability, and I wouldn't say it's it's for survival. There's just a different culture, uh, and 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 that was very impacting. So I think you know, I, if if I can say out loud here that three of the main sort of tenets of the book are identity, race, and place. Would I be on on point? Yeah, I think these are all things that are completely central central to the book. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm glad because in my English <laughs> literature and French and Spanish <laughs> literature courses at uh, my undergrad, 
have been worthwhile. Yes, <laughs> all those years leading ago, up to this moment. All those <laughs> years ago. Now, how did you feel? I mean, you know, they start in Kibdo, and there is really the, again, the description of a frontier city. And Kibdo mm-hmm. does have that chaos, and it is a frontier city, and it has the culture of San Pacho and San Paolo. And, you know, there's this descriptions of the port and the brothels you know, not opening their doors at a certain hour and so on. But it's just like, it. the whole town is a port. I mean, the whole town is defined by mm-hmm. by the river. And what I found very interesting, again, is the absence. I mean, they're there, suggested, but there is an absence of male characters. Um, the principal ones, or the ones mainly written about, are, are women. So, I mean, can you, can you delve into that a little bit? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting, an interesting sort of thing about this book. The fact that I guess there are two, there are two sides to it, to the kind of centrality of the female characters. And one is a kind of a deliberate choice on the part of Lorena that to place her focus upon kind of women and the lives of women during during this time in Colombian history, during during a conflict, kind of what it's like getting on with the everyday business of living when there's an armed conflict going on around you. So what it's like kind of cooking the meals, raising children, kind of, you know, watching the children while they play in the street, making sure they come back in before dark, all this kind of, just this kind of, this side of life, which I think she's making a very particular decision to focus on in the book and to give a different, a different perspective on this period of Columbia's history. But then I think also it's, it's at points in the book, it's a simple reflection of how life was. So when she reaches Bella Vista and she's, um, and she's spending time with the, her adopted son's biological mother, and they're talking about what's happened to her other children and her male children have been taken off by armed groups. And that's the end of that. Like, there's a reason why, there's also a reason why women are so central to this book. And it's because the men are elsewhere, whether or not they want to be. And I think this is one of the, one of the big conversations taking place is that, you know, the, the, one of the, 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 some of the principal victims of the, of the, of the armed conflict are, are of course, women, uh, the ones who are, left to maintain the home the children the income the f- the food and, and and so on or left alone at the end and yeah without going into that so more i think that that is a, a you know very key because it does seem like they're just there are women and and then that that tragedy of rossi uh mm-hmm. rossi who is pregnant on the boat and 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 loses the child and then you know obviously has uh, bleeds out from lack of uh, real um, medical attention, and it's it's this. I I I feel, and I think that you had to obviously you had to you had to explore this as well in the translation. It's the it is the, a loss of life is a very. It's, I wouldn't say mundane, but it's very it's 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 it, it's very ever present in in, mm-hmm. in 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 the region and in the book. Uh, but it's not. There are two. There are two periods in the book which are particularly shocking. One is Rossi, the other's towards the end, but we're not going to talk about it because you all have to read the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is at the end. And and yet 
those feel impacting, but death is a constant, isn't it? Yeah, it's a constant presence. And it just, I mean, I think, again, without without speaking too much about the ending, which should definitely not be kind of <laughs> revealed to people who haven't read the book, I think, I think a real difference between, maybe a real difference in the experience for readers, Colombian readers of this book and readers in the UK or in the US is, is this relationship with death. Like, I think there's, even when I was reading it, I found myself thinking, oh, this is really like, this is really brutal. This is really mm. awful. This is almost too much. And then when you read about the history of Colombia, you think, no, this is, this is everyday mm. reality. This isn't at all over the top. This is a reflection rather than a kind of melodramatic reconstruction of it. So I think I find that quite an interesting reminder that just the texture of, yeah, I think the texture of these things is so different. I think you're right. And that, I mean, it's, it's so, it's so ordinary, I would say, along mm -hmm. it, and it's impact. You know, and again, the friend in in the town saying, "Oh yeah, you know, well, well, the friend, the 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 birth mother saying, well, no, they were taken off. The men mm -hmm. took them, and then they were killed trying to escape. And you're just like, and that's it. There's no tears. There's no. Uh, there are no words of sympathy. There's no conversation. It's not developed in that way. It's it's almost matter of fact. Yeah, I think that's right. I think there's something very, there's just this constant sense that, yeah, I think matter of fact is right, that you have to kind of get on with, get on with the business of living yeah, as okay. well. And, and I think while it is a genuinely Choco-centric book, I do think that kind of thing could be transposed anywhere in Colombia, a small town in the Montes de Maria, up in Cordoba or in the Cauca or where else. I think that is is one of the elements isn't it that could be i mean it, when you traveled around did you get into any areas which you thought oh they've really suffered here absolutely i think i mean that's that's something that's really present in so much of colombia i mean the yeah the conflicts sort of in the very recent past and also not entirely really concluded so i think you're really aware of that um the whole time and just I have very vivid memories of standing in all sorts of different places in Colombia, looking at the jungle and just think, just thinking how it would have, how it would have seemed. It's not just kind of, oh, the natural world, this place that's so separate, but a place that's so full of kind of hidden forces and kind of people and goings on and just how sinister and unknown this kind of landscape that surrounds the places that you live would have seemed mm. like which I think is something that's really present throughout the book as they're driving, driving as they're sailing down the, <laughs> sailing down the river and just looking at what looks like sort of trees and undergrowth and vegetation, but knowing that it's not just mm -hmm. that, that out of sight within that there's so much going on that's, that they're constantly vulnerable to and that they're constantly kind of, yeah, enthralled to without even being able to see it. And I think, yeah. I That's think that really... you're light on that. This, the word sinister is very good because there is it's not something uh, overwhelmingly discussed here. The, uh, this this issue of being sinister and the 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 forces, and we're not talking about armed forces. I, I think we're talking about a certain mysticism that includes uh, includes the conflict, but also includes the the natural world. 
when you say sinister and you we okay we're looking at a, 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 a what could be a paradise and there is that point where they stop i think they stop is it to go and try and get some food and yet the quote is no there's nothing here those people took uh th those people took the food in a, in a shop mm -hmm. in the middle of nowhere you know these i mean a riverside uh dock basically and it's like no those people took it and then and that's it again so you you end up if i'm if i'm not mistaken rereading those points just to remind yourself of what's going on but you said something about driving and there is there is driving <laughs> at some point mm -hmm. in the book <laughs> and i and i wanted to read a quote and later on you'll read a read us an excerpt from the book so so people can get a style but i wanted to read you a, a quote that i that, there's a couple that impacted me and one was we're no longer so squashed in the back of this red willies which is lopsided like the smile of a lonely old man and as wow <laughs> you know the willies <laughs> are the world war ii era jeeps that are used all over colombia for the four by fours and they're totally indestructible and if anyone's seen any sort of uh, i would say um tourism pamphlets there'll be a willies on it you know maybe a red mm -hmm. one with bananas and coffee and whatever else stacked on top but to have described it as lopsided like the smile of a lonely old man seems so unusual but then so correct at the same time are there moments then when you get to something like that and translate it and you stop and you smile absolutely like that's and it's moments like that that are just just a gift if you're a translator because <laughs> it's it just sort of sounds so amazing in English as well without you even really necessarily having to kind of um think too much about it and I think there's something this book's so full of moments like that partly because it's a book which is so permeated by the kind of the childish the child's worldview both of her son when she's seeing the world both as she sees it and as he sees it and when she's kind of all along this journey, she's having to make up games to entertain mm. him or find ways of explaining what's happening that will make sense to him without mm. frightening him or being too honest, but also, and then there's also her kind of flashbacks to when she's a child. And so all through this, as you say, very sinister book, there's a kind of parallel view or vision of the world around, which is kind of childlike in that kind of not necessarily innocent or mm. but just that kind of childlike logic where you make slightly different connections to the connections made by an adult or where you're kind of just operating on a slightly where you have different priorities different things are interesting to you like the names of the plums that you're eating yes. might be more interesting to you than <laughs> sort of you know any armed men sailing by so um, I think there's that childlike she she does create a shield doesn't she for him but she doesn't i wouldn't say she's she doesn't uh sugarcoat it there is a shield but at the same time it's like he's still young but there is a reality here and you you know there's that quote as well uh and i'll get to that. i'll read the quote here i've got it and it, we go back to rossi a bit and I wondered how she would explain, or would she just kind of ignore the 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 reference to Rossi dying? Would she tell her son? And I think she doesn't tell him because I think it's an internal, an internal commentary where she says, "Meeting Rossi just before she died makes her a part of my future, even though she's no longer here." 
maybe I'll visit her with some real flowers when I get back to Kibdo. And I think that was internally said, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So that's not actually said to the boy. But then he does know what's happened. But you kind of realise that he knows what's happened at that slightly, like, both sad and amazing moment where the day after, um, the morning after the... um, yeah, the morning after her funeral, the vigil, um, mm. there's music and the boy suddenly starts dancing and he's just having this amazing time dancing and the woman's thinking, I didn't teach him how to dance like that. How did he <laughs> learn this? And then in the end, after this kind of real like cathartic scene of sort of movement and music, he lies down in the middle of the floor where Rossi's body had been the night before and he says, Ma, I'm dead from dancing so much. So he sort of, he's... He's saying it, and he knows it's happened, but as a kind of as a kind of joke, or as not. It's sort of what on what level has he taken it in, or how is he processing it? It's kind of a that's an exactly kind of exactly what I mean about this kind of parallel childlike child's kind of child's eye view of what's going on because he's mm. processing it, he's taking it in, he's thinking about it, but just not in the same way as the adult characters are. And then there's that force as well of the earth and being connected to it. And again, it comes back. It's through everything. But before we get a little bit further on, there's one other thing that I wanted to discuss, just jumping around a bit. And I and I think it's a Colombian thing. And I wanted to know if it's something that you experienced or you felt that it's a Colombian thing. It's like the the conversation between uh, you know, let's say the main. Uh, main character and then the 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 new friend on on the boat it's it's intrusive in my mind you know i I, again northern european would prefer not to share uh all of my (laughs) you know private the private workings in my family but of course you know there's an there's an intrusive nature of the questions and i just think that the private is very much in the public domain uh, and, and and how would you, after your experiences in Colombia, do you feel that this is something that runs through the country, or is it is it something that says what's more, it's it's more based in that region or uh, elsewhere? Yeah, it's a tough question. I mean, in the context, in the context of the book, I think it's so it's fascinating because of kind of what this what this boat ride become mm-hmm. this boat ride makes it sound so frivolous, oh, yeah. but what this boat journey becomes it's such a kind of microcosm of the kind of like this image of this group of people who are just trying to like get where they need to go and they're just going on this single journey in this down this river that's just one aim which is just get to the end of the journey and yet there are all of these different kind of potential risks and dangers lurking on either side and I think that's such a it feels like such a kind of metaphor for just Mm. what what it feels like to be trying to just get get through get by um and i think that then the world of the boat somehow becomes their their whole lives sort of begin to take place around each other like privacy does become different because everybody can hear each other's conversations everyone becomes part of all of the different kind of health things that happen to each other or all the different conversations all the all these different things all the kind of if you're singing everyone's listening like Mm. somehow everyone's it's such a shared experience that I think privacy does become something a bit different Mm. and it starts to feel quite like I think early on in her 
sort of friendship. And this is an example of what you're talking about, because it does kind of become a friendship between mm. the protagonist and Carmen Emilia, the woman sitting next to her. But early on, it does feel quite surprising and maybe intrusive and just quite bold the way she's asking these direct questions. But mm. really quickly, it starts to make perfect sense. And it just mm. seems like the most natural thing in the world, because just I think boundaries are different when you're in that sort of situation. I, I think so. I, I think so. And I think, again, there's that connection through through everything. And I, it makes me think, you know, the very first time I, I traveled to Montpost, the bus broke down. <laughs> surprise, mm. surprise. And I was the, the sole uh, foreigner visitor on the bus. And everybody wanted to talk. And, you know, we were standing in the sunlight, not a tree. Uh, to offer shade, not a tienda. There's always a tienda somewhere where you can mm. buy a drink from. At this point, there wasn't. And, you know, the people started making sort of funny declarations nearby to therefore, I guess, break down the barriers to talk with me. Yeah, so I heard one guy further up in the bus, sort of four or five rows, saying, ah, you know, the gringos can put a man on the moon and we can't even get a bus tire down there and you knew that this was a way of uh of bringing the conversation in and including me so i thought yeah you know and by the end of it they knew who i was what i was doing how much family i had um, <laughs> and everything else i mean that was it it was just, but it was that interesting thing so you know everyone is in that same uh situation i'm not going to say everyone's in that same boat uh, everyone's in that <laughs> same situation so before we get to you uh reading an extract i just want to say you know to the to the listeners out there it's an incredibly powerful book it can be read in one sitting it must have been a very difficult book to translate to get the nuances because there are the nuances. And when I talk about the nuances, it's like we've mentioned that the sort of not the absence, but the the sort of I not isolation either, but there's an absence. They're not completely absent, men. They are there. Uh, the suggestion of them are there. And of course, it's very much they are the armed conflict and you know, there are refer references like the red bandana and the black boots and then a reference like the man in green uh, and red in a speedboat or uh, the G genus sons being taken by the gorilla and then gunshots in the distance it's a long way off yet and that kind of things so you mean you get those and if you're not watching for those they could you could miss them but that's part of the idea as well and I think that makes it quite powerful on that level. There's one further reference, and then we'll get into your your extract, uh, Annie. Uh, they do stay at, at the Encanto Hostel. Do, did Lorena have artistic license and try and make the the comparison with the famous Disney movie? Oh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, I feel like definitely some license in the naming of the Encanto Hostel, but what's, um, I don't even know of the famous Disney movie. With oh, wow. Well, I have not watched it. My sons have watched it several times, but it's all about the mysticism of Colombia. It's a Disney movie and it brings it out. And, and actually the, you know, the conflict is, is, is suggested in it as well. Uh, but at the same time, it's, it, there's a magical realism to it. And it's the film's called Encanto. And I just, maybe, just yeah. maybe, she's suggesting a counterweight to that kind of almost idealized Disney movie to 
this wound full of fish. But I, I don't know. Maybe that's my license. Maybe I'm being overwhelmingly pretentious. Uh, maybe <laughs> there is an Encanto hostel in that region. Uh, who knows? I mean, because I, some of this, I know that uh, Lorena Salazar grew up in Kibdo. She has to have known the river. She has to have known these towns. And much of this must be drawn from, you know, from memory, of course. You know, you base a lot of this on what's going on. So, I mean, I'll leave it to you, readers, uh, whether you want it to be a, <laughs> a reference <laughs> to the Disney movie or not. Please don't let me uh, lighten <laughs> the nature of this book. So, Annie, you're going to read us a, a short extract as we bring this to a close. What have you chosen from your translation to read? Okay, so I'm going to read. I'm going to read from the opening. I'm going to read the very beginning and then just jump forwards a little bit um, till when they've till when they're boarding the boat, just to kind of give a sense of the river and the sense of the relationship between this woman and her son. Um, Perfect. And the sense of the sort of luscious, luscious <laughs> prose. Um, okay, yeah, this is from the beginning of the book. The boy and I arrive at the dock in Kibdo. We're looking for a canoe that will take us both, plus the soft toy penguin he's been carrying since we left home, to Bella Vista. We sit on the concrete steps that lead to the Atrato River. I buy him a mango with lime and salt from a woman nearby, and we wait. Mornings belong to the birds. They sing from the trees along the bank, even the youngest with nests of bald-headed chicks, starving and defenceless. Look, Ma, a birdie, he says. It's not a birdie, it's a vulture, I tell him, my mouth full of mango. The turkey vulture perches on a rubbish bag. I don't want to explain to the boy the difference between that ominous creature and a birdie, and he doesn't ask. The animal takes flight, and the current sweeps the bag down the river. The town begins on the river's right bank and spreads into a jungle that makes it pay resisting the invasion and reclaiming its space by filling the walls with damp and mould. In Kibdo, the Atrato smells of salt fish, oranges and wet wood. Cutting deep through the land, watched over by rickety old houses, kept company by women and children who wash clothes on its bank. This is the river in its infancy. It's born in Carmen de Atrato and meets its end in the Caribbean Sea. The townspeople live off it, fishing, sailing along it and singing, or praying to its waters. A thick, fleshy arm of black earth. And then I'm just going to skip forward a little bit when they're, when the woman and her son are boarding the canoe. The captain looks at him and tells him to jump, that there's no need to be scared, that she'll catch him. I take hold of the lime-shaped charm at my neck and kiss it. As soon as he sees me, the boy knows he can jump. That charm is a sign he invented one night, completely sure of himself. Ma, whenever you have the line between your teeth, it means you're saying yes to everything. Children make unbreakable rules. As for me, I submit to his law. In return, I ask him to do his homework before going out to play, preparing him for a life full of trade-offs. We educate each other. I teach him to become and he helps me to come undone, to live in new ways, following signs nobody else would understand. He's with me. I didn't give birth to him. I'm his mother and I always will be, however far he strays. 
That's what I tell myself every night in a prayer setting go. As we stand facing the canoe, I want to tell him not to jump, that we'll go home instead and switch on the TV, that I need him. I smile and his right hand lets go of my dress, leaving it covered in creases. A one and a two and a three, he yells, then leaps and the captain catches him. Your turn, Ma. Jump onto the boat or plunge into the current. The boy thinks I'm about to jump onto the boat. He sounds happy, festive. It's a game. The shadow of jumping is plunging headlong, an act of complete surrender. I plunge headlong, pretending I'm just jumping, and the boy hugs me like when he comes home from school. I smooth his shirt with my hands and we sit on the wooden bench the captain points us towards. It's white with no backrest. If this were a tiny aeroplane, I'd say we were in seats 2B and 2C. The captain steers from the back. Unlike the times when we've travelled by plane, neither she nor her helper, a young guy who's just jumped onto the canoe himself, seems surprised that my son is black and I'm white. There you go. Perfect. Thank you so much. And that sets the scene as well for everybody to go out and buy the book. Um, <laughs> it's I imagine it's available in all good bookstores and, of course, online at the usual uh, places. Annie, if there are people out here who are looking to have things translated, how can they get in touch with you? Um, Do you have a website? How can they? Um, <laughs> I actually don't have a website, which is absurd. Um, they can... They can Twitter? email me. Okay. Um, no, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Twitter. Okay, they so what's your Twitter, Twitter handle? It's um, Annie L M C D. M C D. There you go. Annie L M C D. Uh, I can't yeah. promise you uh, future work, but maybe, just maybe, someone out knows, there will go, wow, you know, <laughs> things have happened, I think. Um, let me take this moment to say thank you so much. You've really you captured a lot of things, and you've taken me back as well to the days of when I had to do literary criticism <laughs> at university. <laughs> and so for that, it was really enjoyable. Uh, and, and you've given us a little bit of an insight in what it's like to translate, because it's not an easy job trying to get someone else's words across into another language yeah it's true it's it's fascinating and difficult and a lot of fun and very satisfying every I time it never so. gets old speaking to somebody who's read a book that i've translated and actually sort of experienced it the way i was hoping someone would so oh, thank you as well really no, nice. i i enjoyed it i will read it again uh you know uh, more you know and take more time i obviously read it very rapidly but the you know rapidly and hopefully got got the gist of things and, and so on but i can genuinely recommend it out there i mean if i if i if i didn't like it i wouldn't recommend it that's the truth so <laughs> do check out uh the new book by it's her it's her debut novel isn't it uh Lorena it is yeah Salazar and she's Marcel. very young she's younger than me which is always unfortunate for a translator oh, which means she's younger than me and everyone's younger <laughs> than me now <laughs> so yeah. do check it out this wound full of fish by Lorena yeah. Salazar Maso. And of course you can find it in Spanish, but of course you can find it in English online. Let me take this moment to say thank you so much to Annie McDermott for taking the time out of her day in the South of France. <laughs> Very nice. Um, and well, please, well, hopefully this brings you back to listening to the podcast once again. I know you're not in Colombia, but hopefully this, this will entice you to, to listen to the podcast and maybe return to Colombia in the future. Definitely. 
Thank you very much for listening. Uh, we'll go over and have some messages from our sponsors. But at the same time, if you feel that you, that, it, that this is worthwhile, please take a look at our Patreon page. That's www.patreon.com forward slash Columbia Calling. And you can leave, you know, what amounts to a tip or a little bit more for the Columbia Calling podcast and help us maintain, uh, you know, viability. But anyway, this has been episode 470. Now over to some messages from our sponsors. Thank you very much for listening, everyone, and bye-bye. The Columbia Calling podcast is sponsored by Latin News, a leading source of political and economic analysis on Latin America and the Caribbean since 1967. Their flagship publication, the Latin American Weekly Report, provides a behind-the-scenes briefing on all the week's key developments throughout the region. Sign up for a 14-day free trial at latinnews.com. We are also sponsored by BNB Columbia Tours, which is a leading tour operator providing a wonderful range of exclusive small group shared tours for those over 50, along with customizable private tours to both popular and off-the-map destinations throughout this beautiful and diverse country. If you're interested in experiencing one of their unforgettable journeys through Colombia, be it a shared tour with like-minded travelers or creating a unique private package of your own, just complete the form on the Columbia Calling website, that's www.columbiacalling.co, or the BNB Columbia Tours website, that's www.bnbcolombia.com, and they'll be in touch within 24 hours to answer all of your questions and to start the planning of your exclusive Colombian adventure. So that's bnbcolombia.com and latinnews.com. Thank you for supporting our sponsors.